This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Art of War podcast. If everything goes well, this should be coming out right before the LVO. Uh, joining me as always is my co-host, Nick Nanavati, who doesn't really need an introduction. Obviously, you guys know that he is one of the best 40K players in the world. And today we got a special treat for you. We're going to break down some uh, LVO lists that we think are interesting and are probably going to do well, uh, as well as we're going to be recording a special episode for our, for our patrons, which is going to go through Nick's White Scars list and why he chose it. So anyway, Nick, how are you doing and, and where do you want to start? I'm doing great, John. Yeah, I, just, uh, I wanted to clarify for the those of you watching at home, we're not sure if we can get a podcast out immediately after LVO. We want to interview the LVO winner, uh, of course, or whoever that may be, uh, and really dive deep as we normally do in their uh, list. Um, but because LVO is LVO and people might need some time to recuperate before jumping onto our podcast, uh, myself included, since I'm living in the middle of moving to Florida, we might not get the episode out. So we're doing this for you. Hopefully this can kind of bridge that gap, but do expect that episode very soon. But anyways, um, I yeah, I guess but okay. before you jump in, Nick, I, I guess I'll just expound on that a little bit. So if everything goes according to our plans, which doesn't always happen, but if it does, you guys will be listening to this along with um, our episode with Mark Perry. So we'll actually be releasing two podcasts in the week before LVO, and then the podcast coming directly after LVO might be a little, a little delayed. Obviously, we're going to try to get it out as fast as possible. We're going to aim for our normal Wednesday delivery, but we might not make it just because the reality of people traveling far distances, um, people spending three days playing way too much 40K if there's such a thing. Um, so yeah, that's just the reality of the situation. So we tried to be a little proactive and give you guys a little extra this uh, yeah. this and period. We certainly, we certainly didn't want to do the episode the week after LVO and not feature the, uh, the not LVO winner. So right. uh, yeah. we're doing this preemptively to hopefully cover your 40K needs for as long as possible. And I suppose, I suppose before we get started, Nick, we should uh, maybe talk just a moment about being on the Frontline Gaming Network and how much we appreciate that and how much, if you guys are not listening to the Frontline Gaming Network, you're really doing it wrong. <laughs> so, at least in my opinion. What do you think, Nick? Yeah. I mean, where else can you front listen to both the best 40K podcast in the world, ours, and the second best 40K podcast in the world, 40K Stat Center? I mean, come on. Like yeah, all exactly. in one place. It's a one-stop shop. And then, of course, there's other like podcasts, you know, Chapter Tactics. You got Pablo. There's only one Pablo out there. And there's only one Reese and – I don't actually know who Reese's co-host is anymore because – It's Pablo now. <laughs> oh, it's Pablo. How ironic. Um, yes. So where else can you find Pablo twice if not yeah. Pablo Gaming? 
Also, I mean, obviously our podcast has a lot of great players on it, but like Chapter Tactics has got Brandon Grant and Scary, you know, Sean Morgan. There's a lot of really good players on that podcast. Um, and then obviously Reese is Reese. He's been in the 40K competitive scene for probably longer than almost anyone, if you think probably about the it. the smartest thing you've ever said in your life, John. Reese is Reese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. All right. Anyway, we, we just wanted to make sure that we <laughs> – we really appreciate being on the on the Frontline Gaming Network. It really helped us get started. So, um, and we think there's just tremendous value there. And I think what you guys are going to see is we're working hard on upping our professionalism and putting out better products. So all the podcasts are going to be improving in the near future. So, yeah, keep your eye out for that stuff, guys. Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. Trust me. Trust me. I would never lie to you. Uh, I do have a sincerity problem, but that's the truth. All right, LVO, Nick. Right. That's what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Where do you want to start? I, I guess I've got a suggestion. How about we start with the Florida guys who think they solved the meta, right? Like they are very confident in their Iron Hands list. Do you want to talk about yeah, yeah. that? So yeah. for those of you who aren't familiar, Florida Brohammer people are, I believe now the number one ITC team in the ITC team rankings. Uh, they have dethroned Beast Coast temporarily, my personal team, um, by like, points like single digit points out of like 2000 points so you know it's anybody's race going into lvo but uh they they have stepped up their game a lot as a team this season and actually for the finals the finale the climax of our season the lvo they have brought almost every player on the team the same list um that is an abrupt and forceful switch to iron hands for pretty much all of their members uh, how they found so many Chaplain Dreadnoughts and Leviathan Dreadnoughts, I will never know. But uh, pretty much all the members on the team brought the same army. It is Iron Hands with Pharos, uh, a lieutenant, three Chaplain Dreadnoughts, um, uh, Apothecary Dude, and like 40 Intercessors, nine Eliminators, and a Leviathan Dreadnought. So very interesting tech there. You know, they took no Thunderfire Cannons, which is just craziness in the marine meta i actually had considered it myself because there's such dead weight versus imperial fist but it is pretty pretty ballsy move to go through with no thunder fires um they've also brought no deep striking stuff that is common in iron hands list um no grav pod no suppressors none of that uh and not that this was expected but none of them brought planes to kind of supplement their lack of speed so they're doing a very very grindy denial style board control iron hands list it's very interesting uh, approach to the meta and i think nine people in total are bringing it to the event the same exact point for point list so yeah i mean obviously the thunder, to the thunder expect to play it yeah go ahead yeah 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 the thunderfire thing is interesting um and it, it they are a huge liability versus uh, Imperial Fist, but in all the other matchups, they're pretty good. Like the yeah. other one where they're not really good is the Flyer matchup, which is effectively dead. Like Flyers really aren't a thing anymore. At least I really hope game. that's true because that's my White Scar's worst matchup. But I saw a few Flyer lists last I checked. Yeah, there's a few. Um, there always will be a few, right? Um, yeah. But the other thing that I find interesting about this Iron Hands list, and you tell me if I'm crazy, but they're using a Leviathan Dread, right? And I think if you talk to a lot of top tier players, they feel like that is not a great piece. Like it's a powerful piece. Nobody denies that it has raw power. Like statistically speaking, it's a very durable piece. And under Iron Hands, it's it's nigh immortal. 
But at the same time, it only has a 24-inch range. It doesn't move super fast, and it can be kited around by a lot of armies. So what do you think of the Leviathan in there, Nick? I think uh, it's actually pretty genius in there, the way they're running it. Um, so there's a few tricks you can do with it in Iron Hands, and uh, that makes it better than in normal Space Marine list, I suppose. Obviously, you can Iron Stone and half damage and do all that stuff since it's an killable Dreadnought, but you can do that with normal Sunny Dreadnought in Iron Hands. So that's not particularly unique to the Leviathan. Um, the parts that do make it spectacular, or, or at least more useful, I should say, is that you can buy a Warlord trait, which is a student of history uh, in this case, um, which will allow it to fall, or not fall, but consolidate any direction it wants. So one of the ways people mitigate the Leviathan historically is just tag it in combat with some whatever, an Intercessor, uh, a Dark Eldar Warrior, a Rhino, like literally anything. It's garbage in combat. can't punch its way out of a paperback. So you tag it. It can't fall back and shoot because it doesn't fly, and 300-point models solve for a turn over and over and over. With Student of History, is a Warlord trait you buy for it. lets you fall back six inches in any direction after you activate, of course. Or not fall back, I'm sorry, consolidate. So let's say my Intercessors go and tag the Leviathan to shut it up for a turn. Um, he punches me, nothing happens, and then he uses his consolidation to, instead of moving closer towards the closest enemy model, as per usual, he just leaves. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. So that's some interesting tech. But what it's really there for in his list is actually more of a matchup-specific scenario. In most games, I think the Brohammer team, at least the topper and players of it who bring the list, have pretty much conceded that the Leviathan doesn't really need to shoot, ever. What it does is it takes the middle of the board as an option away from the opponent, which is good because that's where they're going to park 40 intercessors. So it becomes very hard to approach that list and actually shift them off objectives, allowing them to get recon, hold more, and that kind of stuff. Also, it's very good. It's a very good answer to Imperial Fists, which are traditionally an issue for Iron Hands. Um, they actually can get through the unkillableness that is Iron Hands um, and outshoot them, which is not good at all. Um, so Leviathan being even more unkillable, which actually is that difference breaker in the fist match. Uh, can just waddle forward. Fists are slow, fundamentally, uh, and generally need line of sight except for their indirect fire. Um, so all those piles of intercessors that you see in Imperial Fistless often bring are just going to get shot away in seconds by this Leviathan. So it's it's an interesting tech piece to solve its worst matchup, which I like a lot. Yeah, I also think it's a pretty strong piece after talking to Mark Perry, which you guys will hear this on, probably have already heard this because it dropped probably right before this, but um, the Leviathan actually bothers the Possessed Bomb quite a bit too, right? So um, I'm sure that, that it's in there to shore up that matchup as well. Uh, I'm not sure it actually bothers the Possessed Bomb at all. Um, did Mark say that? He did remember. say that. Mark, Mark was saying that um, it was difficult for him because he can't just touch it. He's got to uh, charge it. The history thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's got to, he actually has to charge it. And if he charges it, it's like it kills way too much stuff because of the five plus. Um, five plus uh overwatch right so it it's a very difficult it's, it's it's a lot easier to like charge something near a leviathan and sort of roll into it to touch it well i think it's it more yeah sorry to interrupt you i think yeah, yeah. that whole matchup uh is actually surprisingly playable for the iron hands whereas most iron hands lists do fold the possessed star um basically what happens in the possessed versus iron hands match historically is that the the possessed make themselves intrudable and stay in the middle of the table. The Iron Hands player can't really interact with him. Possessed points score more points throughout the game. Nothing really dies on either side until someone commits. Um, so if the Iron Hands player doesn't commit, the possessed player doesn't commit, the possessed player scores hold more and bonus and things like that. So he just wins small. 
And uh, if the Iron Hands player commits, then he's charging possessed. That's never going to work. And if the possessed player commits, then at least the Iron Hands player has an option to win, like depending on what his countercharge opportunities are and things like that. So part of the way that the Burrowhammer team has solved that issue is actually really clever. It's just taking nine eliminators, which is Chaos's not friend. Uh, Chaos, by and large, is an army that needs characters for support and, and lots of them. And oftentimes in the Possessed Bomb, they're not particularly durable characters. So um, having putting them all on a timer, basically saying the longer you stand there, the more characters you're losing, the more that the Iron Hands player is keeping up with kills, getting headhunter points, that kind of thing, um, the worse it is. So it actually forces those Possessed to to run in there and charge to, you know, act and which allows the Iron Hands player to win, kind of allowing that Leviathan to play the game. So it's very some of its parts type of army, which I really like. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty interesting build. And again, I think um, the idea that you people are running like 40 plus intercessors, I think that's really strong because it gives you a lot of board presence and it's it, they're just difficult to chew through. Like they're just a pain Absolutely. in the butt. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes intercessors. What? <laughs> All right. So I mean, I think I think we covered that list pretty well. It uh, it plays into the meta pretty well. It, it shoots very hard. It's very hard to interact with because you've got a Leviathan that's unkillable, three Chaplain Dreads, right? And it's going to drop last cannons on you all game long. So I think um, it was one of the, the most clever lists I saw for all its subtleties. Not like it's rocket science to figure out take Dreadnoughts and Intercessors, but the way it's set up and the thought the process that went into setting it up, I think is, is pretty genius personally. Yeah, and it's really positioned for this meta in at this point in time, right? Um, which I think is really smart. All right, where do you want to go next, Nick? Uh, let's just keep rocking it through all the marine armies and then uh, see what else is interesting. So let's go across the pond over to Manny Chima um, and Malik Rubio, who seem to be bringing Imperial Fists with buttloads of artillery um and then manny has actually gone for even more and malik has gone for planes so they're both playing imperial fists um both are bringing two to three score pieces depending um and then three thunder fires so you can already imagine that's a ton of indirect fire and then uh malik and his variation he's uh, one of the top well-known players in the uk is running no troops no, barely any characters, a couple Smash characters, and that's about it. And then five planes, I believe it's three Stormhawks and two Storm Talons, or maybe the inverse. Uh, and then Manly, which is probably one of the highest ranked players in the UK, if not the highest, is uh, he's running Fist with three Thunderfires, three Scorpiuses, and then he's gone the other direction with more artillery, triple Quad Mortar, um, or Quad Launcher, whatever they're called. So they 12 artillery, or sorry, nine artillery pieces, um 12 d3 shots or something from just the that stuff and then no way more than that crazy uh 36 d3 or something it's insane uh then he has nine suppressors too which is really interesting tech gives some speed to the otherwise very very immobile fist army which i like a lot so both of those lists are heavy, heavy alpha strike lists, right? If they go Absolutely. first, there's a lot of lists that are in big I trouble. I don't think there's an army in 40k that exists that could handle going second against either of those two lists. Like, doesn't matter what it is. Maybe, maybe Iron Hands, and it would have to be like every, like every intercessor in a five of five of bubble you can possibly take to try to survive that. Yeah. 
it's, it's insane just, how much damage just, that is. It's just so much damage. Um, but I mean, I think one of the maybe one of the weaknesses of the list is it is an alpha strike list, and it can it can lose a lot of its teeth really fast if somebody goes first against it, right? So in both cases. So I don't know. I think I think they're going to do well though because um, we don't generally see top level players running these kinds of super top heavy lists. It's not a list that lets you leverage your play skill much over your opponent. Not to say that's a skillless army, but uh, let's say. Manny goes second against like a seer council who moves 40 something inches in a turn and charges the artillery base doesn't care about anything um you know of course manny just going first with a table that's your council but now that he's going second which is literally a 50 50 die roll in most cases um the it's reverse so manny is not taking something that lets him leverage his play skill which i find very uncharacteristic for most high level players of his caliber. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how matchup roulette kind of goes as far as if they hit something that can really steal the initiative off them on turn one and get into their artillery base. Uh, it's not just Elder that can do it, but they're a prime example. Um, if they go first 10 times out of 10 times and just run away with the tournament, then that's that. Or is there more to it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Um... So you know other other armies that can go first against it, like any any sort of flyer spam, I think is just going to kill all their artillery. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much every Eldar build that exists these days is either fast enough to engage it in combat turn one, or fast enough with angular shooting that's very powerful. I'm talking Eldar planes here to to engage it and blow it up turn one. Uh, I don't think it. Maybe it has the firepower or the durability to survive that, but I, I just doubt it. Um, uh, Iron Hands planes. Uh, I don't know that match super well, but I imagine if the Iron Hands planes go first, six artillery pieces die, and that's that. Maybe Malik's version has a little more threat in it, so it can kind of hang. But it depends what else is in the Iron Hands plane list, so we'll see. Uh, I do think both lists are just crazy top heavy, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Actually, mathematically, somebody would have to solve that for me. But I don't know what's better, the extra damage, um, or the additional minus one to hit that the you know because they're going to have an additional minus one to hit the if flyers right um what do you mean because they don't get to move and shoot with no penalty right right and uh, they have to move is way better assuming you have a chapter master right well if you can it's not always easy to line up shots with chapter master support with airplanes but that's true that's true yeah um at least for turn one you probably can but yeah for right. sure yeah um it, it, like I said, it, it's a horrifying list as from our perspective as the opponents potentially uh, because you, you honestly don't have a good game against it no matter what happens if you go second. I've thought about it a lot with my white scars and even if I get in a situation which is deploy first and go first and then Manny wins the role or Malik wins the role and they are supposed to go first barring my Cs, I think I just deploy everything on the line and say, F it, I'm going first anyway. Hope I roll a six to seize. What kind of plan is that? And then if I don't, well, at least we're in Vegas. But um Right. There's there's not you can't even play KG against that army because indirect fire, you might not even make it to turn two. You're just gonna get tabled. It's well, so yeah, because I mean like three Scorpius kills how many of your intercessors? Like a bunch. With with a chapter master, a master of the or just a captain, a master of the forge. So hitting on twos, reroll ones, and then a lieutenant rerolling ones on threes to wound. Ignores cover AP three, so I'm taking six ups. I expect to lose almost all of them on turn one from just three Scorpius. And there's thunder fires and quad launchers or planes. 
It's just not going to happen. So basically I'm saying I, I better go first in that game. Or someone else knock it out for me. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I guess the only other option is if you play them in an earlier round before you get to the top 100 tables and you get some magic boxes, that might make it a game for you, right? Magic boxes make no difference for artillery. Oh, yeah. I, don't I was thinking about the five planes, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the five planes, it helps, but the five planes also come with five artillery pieces. So is it only delaying the inevitable? I feel like it does. Yeah, you're probably right. You are so, yeah, as, just, as as usual, Nick. You are smarter just, than I am. Just a very top-heavy army, you know. Not not the way I'd like to play 40k, but teach their own, I suppose. Well, it kind of is what it is. All right, so let's talk about um, what else? Did you want to talk about one of the myriad of possessed lists, or? Sure. I mean, we were also seeing a lot of top players bringing possessed. I think as of very late, this became kind of a, a thing in the meta. Um, like we weren't really seeing possessed come into their own until like this past week or two weeks, I would say. Um, I'm sure people have been talking about it and play testing it, but I don't think we've seen it really grow in the numbers that it has until very recently. So that's really interesting. Um, TJ Lanigan, obviously one of the top players playing possessed. Jim Vessel, Mark Perry, we had him on this week for Art of War. Uh, so if you haven't given that a listen, definitely do that if you want to know more about the Possessed Bomb in detail. Um, and then Alex Harrison, the infamous over from the UK, uh, all bring in the Possessed Bomb. So, I mean, it's a pretty good meta call. It's, uh, it answers most fistless and most Iron Handsless very, very well. And if you were going to tell me what the two most popular armies in 40k are right now, I would say, or at least two most likely to win OVO, I would say one of those two, Fists or Iron Hands. Um, it's not bad versus Zeldar. It's just a strong army. So it's no surprise to me that we're seeing top players gravitate towards that. It's also kind of the opposite in that of the Iron Hand, the Imperial Fist army I was just talking about. Whereas that one kind of blunts your skill level. If you're an excellent general, you don't really get to take advantage of that. You're just rolling dice and the other guy's picking up his models. Possessed are an army that uh, emphasizes your play skill. As in, if you're bad with Possessed, you're, you're going to get stomped and if you're good with possessed you're gonna be writing symphonies and twisting people's brains into pretzels it's nuts yeah that's a very high skill cap army and then obviously the players that we just referenced are all um, number one very experienced players and number two yeah. they're they've all been playing chaos like forever right so they know the ins and outs of all the pieces of the army um well not all of them but but jim tj and man uh mark has yeah but there are definitely some bandwagon chaos players. I'd oh, say. for sure, for sure. I guess when we talk about these lists, I often just compartmentalize it to the players that I know. Um, yeah. And usually they're they're well known. Um, right. What other elements are in besides the possessed? And I guess for people that don't know, the big thing about the possessed bomb is they take the middle of the board and then kind of sit there and force you to. They play a game of chicken with you, and it's very difficult to interact with. So. For sure. Um, there's different variations to the Possessed Bomb, and they all start with 20 Alpha Legion Possessed. That's, that's fundamental to what it is. Um, anywhere between one and three battalions, which is really interesting because generally you see like orcs when they're building a list run three battalions or a brigade or something to get tons of CP, same with Gene Stealer Cult. Or Space Marines, you can often get by with like one or two battalions. You pretty much never see three. But basically, a faction kind of has a set amount of command points it needs. This one is very interesting in that some people think it needs three, some people think it can get away with one. It's crazy. Um, you've, you still need your psychic battery support, so you'll either be seeing word bearers 
or Thousand Sons. Uh, Word Bearers are kind of a discount Supreme Command compared to Thousand Sons, and they also can't fail their powers anymore. Um, at least one power per turn can't fail with a strat. Uh, also, they have the Ashen X, which is a new relic, which means you can't fall back if you're engaged with the guy who's wielding it. So there's some cool stuff there to lock things in. Um, aside from that, not really offering much. Um, you'll see variations that basically run anywhere between double obliterator to zero obliterator, triple playbrush crawler, and anything in between, like single obliterator, double playbrush crawler, all kinds of stuff. So it's it's really interesting to see how those lists kind of vary and there's a lot of personal preference gone into it between single and triple battalion as you can see that's the trade-off of chaos i suppose uh you can either take garbage troops like cultists to unlock command points to make your good units like possessed work really well or you take less of that to not take trash as we call it um this denies points to your opponent as cultists are very easy kills in in mass cultists are free reaper points free butcher's bill points is horrible and kill more as well so, and then the single battalion version, like what TJ's running, doesn't even run any cultists, just runs three units of Nerglings troops. So that's a, a type of variation that can um, not even give up any kills on certain turns. So you're seeing total opposite ends of the spectrum there. It's really interesting to see different variations. <clears throat> right. But obviously the, the major defining factor is that those possessed. Um, yeah, yeah. We're calling the list possessed bomb. I mean, that's right. going to be the staple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Out of curiosity, do, do you want to talk about the Gene Stealer cult list that's running around? The uh, nine Ridgerunners? Yeah. I suppose. Uh, it's our buddy Alex, who actually was on the Art of War uh, maybe a few months ago, talking about his tier list he won a GT with in Canada. Um, he and Colin Sherman, who's also been on the Art of War podcast, um, have been kind of innovators of the nine Ridgerunner list. And... Uh, I played against it at Charity Hammer, and I think I was the only person who ran into it and wasn't overly impressed. So maybe I'm the Debbie Downer here. Uh, I personally just shot it off the board with Iron Hands. Very, very awesome, guys. Sorry to burst any bubbles. Um, but it did manage to beat multiple Imperial Fistless, which I find really surprising. It had interesting concepts in it. It's a very dark horse off-meta, special stuff, like whatever you want to call it, type of army, but it also is pretty powerful, I'm not going to lie. So I do expect that list will go pretty far. I don't think it'll make top eight. I don't think anything crazy like that's going to happen, but you never know with a thousand people. It's all you. Well, I mean, of the players that I that I know of, Alex is capable of going 6-0. and Yeah, he, he definitely is. The, He's really, really good. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about like what makes that list good? I mean, obviously the... The nine ridge runners, they all have mining lasers, right? So they they put out a lot of firepower that's fairly accurate and they're a pretty durable platform. I mean yeah. so not I crazy durable, yeah, but go ahead. I mean, I think what honestly does that list more than the ridge runners is the hive guard. Um hive guard are amazing these days, especially on these LVO tables, ignoring AP minus one and two from the new psychic awakening stuff. Um, and just having powerful indirect fire is just a staple in competitive lists these days at this point. Um, so that's giving Tyrion something they don't have. Obviously, you guys want to know about the Ridgerunner stuff, because that's the point of the list. But really what that is, is just a way to get cheap, efficient last cannons into the army that are too tough for what they are to kill um, for most armies. It's just a bunch of wounds. It's not particularly impressive. It's toughness 5-4 armor. Um, but eight wounds a guy is still 72 wounds um, for to kill nine tanks. And 
it's just annoying. I mean, it's highly accurate if you want it to be with the Hive Cult as their cult thing for Gene Stealer Cult. They can uh, make, they basically have the Imperial Guard strat for Cadia, which is after you've done a wound to something, you can spend two CP and then everything else of the same faction gets plus one to hit against it. So you'll try to like plink a wound off with your Jackal Alphys, uh, who has the Relic Sniper Rifle, oddly enough, to do mortals on fours. Um, so it's very likely that, and he's plus two to wound in general. So it's very likely he can just pop a wound off of a big target for free, and then all your Lazkins will hit on twos or your ones against it. So it's pretty insane how much they, how accurate those shots can be. Um, and you know, in a marine heavy world, having nine functionally auto hitting last cans is certainly not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right. Is there any other lists you want to talk about, Nick? I mean, there's a ton. Do you want to look at maybe um, one of the Eldar lists or? Yeah. So there's a couple Eldar lists that are interesting. Um, there are basically two styles. I would say there's the aggressive combat style and there is the flying plane, shooty, tank, MSU style. So I'll cover both of them. Uh, some good examples, if those of you looking on BCP want to follow along, uh, of the aggressive combat style could be Chris Blackham, Sean Naden, Matt Shookman. Um, they're all running, well, Sean's unique in that he's running Spears and Skyweavers. Chris Blackham is running Seer Council and Grotesques. Um, and then Matt Shookman is running 27 Shining Spears. So they're all focused around like super fast bike units. Um, that just run across table and charge things and do janky combat stuff. They have a myriad of characters, uh, a lot of Eldar movement shenanigans, and then it's built to taste, right, for flavoring. So Sean's running Skyweavers in the Solitaire, I believe, for the Incarn. Chris Blackman's running the Grotesques for just Meat Wall. And the Shipman is just doubling down and taking 27 Spears. Uh, I think he's also got Dark Reapers, though, so it's very old Yanari and Shining Spear Dark Reaper-esque. So that's, it's a really interesting build archetype. I think it has an interesting marine match because generally it's just like a lot of high mobility stuff. The lanes aren't particularly fast. Their general tricks to slow down things with tremor shells and whatnot don't work. Um, they can't really catch, like the spears aren't really threatened by thunder fires in general. So spears out of line of sight can dodge marine shooting very effectively and then just be inside of the marine army the next turn because they move so fast. So it's very annoying for certain marine armies to deal with. Um, also, interestingly enough, like intercessors don't punch spears super efficiently when you have protect on them, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Not even without protect, is intercessors don't really do anything in this match. But spears are super vulnerable to things like smash captains because they don't have any more close combat. So uh, I wouldn't say it's a great match into marines, but it definitely has power behind it and can catch people off guard. Um, it'll be interesting to see how well they do. The other archetype that I find people are running uh, is the MSU LR shooting base list. So you'll see something like three Night Spinners, uh, three Fire Prisms, three Crimson Hunters, maybe three Wraith Lords actually are coming back into the fold. Uh, all this was with like the Ignores Cover uh, Craft World trait, whatever that's called, and Master Artisans. I believe it's called Master Craftsman, but it's functionally the same thing. Expert, on it. Expert Crafters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, uh, it's super highly efficient Eldar shooting. Super mobile, because Eldar, um, and it, it's just mad. It's just effective. 
screening because they're so fast. It's hard to interact with them because they're they're fairly tough for what they are. It's super accurate, rerolls to wounds with Doom, Jinx, super potent. It's just a highly efficient raw firepower. Right. And it's also mostly fly, so it's very difficult yeah, to like pin, pin down. The way you normally beat gun lines because it's all fly. It's a very potent army, but very glass hammery. I think of it like this versus the Manny Chima stylist. I really do believe it's going to be who goes first wins. So yeah. it's interesting you're seeing top players run it because, again, um, it's not one that necessarily – now, I'm not going to say it doesn't have skill. It certainly does. But you get yourself into matchups where there's nothing you can do where your skill gets into play. Like if if Manny and Colin Sherman play, it's probably who goes first wins. And if Colin doesn't – or whichever one goes first, whatever whoever it is, uh, the other person can't really fall back on, I'm a better player than you, or I can, I'm a competent player, let me pull some moves out of my butt. There are no moves to pull out of your butt. You're just rolling dice at each other and seeing who's dead. Yeah. So it's interesting. Do you, do you think the Marine meta is kind of causing that? Like, are things too deadly because of combat, or the, the combat doctrines? Um, do you think people uh, are feeling forced into that? I'm yeah. kind of curious. So the, the other flyer type list has has always existed. But I think it, it functioned more on durability before than offense. And it's shifted now to even more offensive and less defensive. So by that, I mean, um, I used to rely on Aliotok being minus two to hit, uh, and then removing a couple key units that could kill flyers fairly well, very efficiently early on, and then just coasting on with like six flyers that your opponent can't really deal with for the next the game, tabling them over the course of six turns. That's less feel bad than the type of army that kills you in two turns, which is what it is now. Um, I think that's just game design, not necessarily Marines fault, but definitely Marines are guilty of it. Um, GW seems to just keep adding on offense on offense on offense without really increasing defense, these new codexes. So the fact that Eldar didn't get any defensive buffs, if anything, Eliotak lost value because minuses aren't as much of a thing because of the Marine meta. Um, and then they replaced it with things like Ignore's Cover and Expert Craftsman, now we're seeing offense at an all-time high for that faction. Same with Marines. Uh, like Marines kill other Marines or just Marines kill everything so efficiently that being tough has lost its meaning. Like, there's no point in being tough. It's just hit the other guy first. The yeah, only I mean, army that can really be tough these days is either 300 bodies, and that's not being tough. That's just being numerous. Or Iron Hands, which are somehow so tough that Marines don't actually kill them that well. I don't know. I, I felt pretty good playing Microtasks. They seem fine. Oh, yeah, they're still, they're still tough. But they still... Like they, they, they go can down. go down, they do they go, go down, down. but I not, mean, they require they used to be virtually unkillable. Like back when they first came out, like entire armies, like you people would run 30 of them. Yeah, I believe they it. just wouldn't die. Yeah, although I, I will say this too I don't know if you've looked at the new Grey Knight stuff in Ritual of the Damned, but those paladins are also going to be extremely tough. So I have not looked at any, well, they can get. Just, just as a quick aside, because I'm a I'm a Grey Knight fan. Paladins can get they can get transhuman to only be wounded on a four up, and then you can give them an additional minus one to wound, so you're wounding them on a five up, with anything, mm -hmm. and then they mm -hmm. can get uh, cover all the time. They can get plus one to their invol. They can get minus one to hit. Um, like they're they're gonna be nigh immortal as long as you have some CPs, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So hopefully that, you know, adding durability to the game is a great way of toning down the power creep because the power creep for offense is so high. And if we just keep adding in 
offensive power, offensive power, offensive power. It's just going to be turn one who wins every time. And that's not what we want for games. So I'm glad the possessed exists just be, even though it's kind of non-directive, just because it keeps Marine players honest. I mean, who um, would have thought we'd be saying, thank God for this Death Star? <laughs> literally. like, where, What kind of world do we live in that we're happy that something's unkillable? Yeah. Or hard, very difficult to kill. Yeah. Hard to interact with. Hard to interact with. That's, yeah. that's not where you want to be. But, yeah. but uh, it's necessary, right? Because it's going to keep some of those armies in check. I mean, honestly. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think about the possessed bomb versus like a Manny Chima style list? Does it still lose if it goes second? I'm not sure, to be totally honest. Um if it goes second, probably, but it doesn't have to. So it depends what variation. Um, Mark Perry's variation is actually pretty good into that, right? It might be. So Mark has to not lose his possessed early, like before they hit combat. Right. And I don't know how, how if that's doable. So like two Scorpiuses will pick up all of the nerdlings that Mark has. Maybe, maybe it'll take th- all three. But they're going to go down. And then it's going to come down to can the master of forged tech marines and quad mortars that hit on fives, even though it's minus four to hit, um, are, th- are they going to get it done against Lord Arcos? And then is the possessed going to die on turn two, top of yeah. two, before let's can show up? So it, it's kind of a dice game, but I don't like, I do think that's what happens. Like three score pieces, three dead nerdlings on top of turn one. Six quad mortar thunderfire type things probably overkill, but Arcos is down. And then the next turn, there's nothing standing in front of possessed or characters. Well, one of the other is dying. That's GG. Yeah, and, and both are a disaster for that list, right? So yeah, so the like it's crazy that Mark has so much durability from Adeline Sight, a character who's minus four to hit, all covered in our episode this past week on other war guys, and uh, that still just doesn't matter if he goes second because he doesn't have enough time to bring his reserves in before it gets bad. This is all speculation, of course, but I'm thinking thinking that's how it goes. As far as like, I know we're sort of in the, we've, we've been kind of all over the place. This is a little less focused than we normally are, and that's fine. I think it's a good discussion. Yeah, it's more of a roundtable discussion. It is, <laughs> or a round guy discussion. Well, we're round, I'm, rectangle discussion. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, and one of the things that I think is pretty interesting is you see a lot more um, Shining Spears, right? Shockman's running three three sets. Uh, Naden's running two. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And I was I was thinking, I'm like, so these are really good players. These are really good Eldar players, and they're playing all these Spears. Why are they playing them? And I started thinking about the matchups. Like, they're very efficient at killing Intercessors, which are all over yeah, the place, right? for sure. They're also can be made to be pretty efficient at killing Possessed. Like, they can do it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah absolutely. Because they're going to be within 12 inches, right? Um, so they're, they're going to be minus two, but they can be guided. And then they're going to shoot them with the jinx. Yeah. Also do crazy damage now. Yeah. And so like a unit of spears like cripples. Then, then you can charge in. Yeah. Yeah. Cripples. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, I get that. Or, or not even that, Sean, but both possessed, not possessed. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Possessed need their characters to, to function. And with multiple spear units, you're totally okay just hanging back, <coughs> waiting for an opening, and then assassinating all their characters that matter with your 44-inch moving fly spear things. Then, then you know, that unit dies to possessed, whatever. Next turn, the possessed have no buffs because all the characters died, and you still have a unit of spears ready to go in and then kill them. Yeah. 
that seems that seems pretty playable. So I think that's interesting. Um, and again, it's a little bit glass hammery, right? Because Spears can get picked up quick if they get a, somebody gets a hold of them early. Um, but it's, it's still, yeah. yeah. Um, it's really interesting because we're seeing a, like a dynamic form between the top players. People are either going so deep into alpha strikes where it's like, yes, if I go first, uh, I just win. Game's over. You know, it's very simple. And if I go second, it's an uphill battle, but I can play. Um, and then you're seeing other top players like the entirety of Team Drawhammer go into just completely the opposite side of it. No alpha strike whatsoever. They have no cares to even go first. They don't want to go first in any game. They're literally just trying to go second and win the mission every time. They have no alpha strike, no indirect fire in a format where you can hide your opponent's entire army. Um, they're, they're literally just board control and direct fire. We're going to take it on the chin turn after turn after turn and score more points than you. So you're seeing two totally opposite spectrums here, which is really interesting. It is really interesting, but I think that's sort of the meta, right? You either have to be insanely durable, and I think that's partially why Tau has done so well, because when you have 50 drones, your army is naturally very durable, right? Yeah, you have to have, like, like you must be this tall to ride this ride. You must be this durable to survive Space Marines. Yeah, and so you either have to have durability or you have to hit them so hard so fast that they can't, you have to like beat them in the race to, to the bottom, yeah. right? You either, you're either going pure alpha strength, I'm going for it, or you're going pure durability, I don't care. And I think these half-assed middling attempts, uh, which I, I guess myself has been guilty of, um, have or are just not going to cut it. If you're halfway between durable and offense, like I have durability and I have offense, um, you're going to fall short against one or the other because it's just too extreme for you. Yeah, although... I understand why you've done that, right? Because that's um, if you have a balance list and that gives you the tools to play in any matchup and then you're hoping to rely on your play skill, right, to get you through. That's exactly what it is. But at the same time, and this is something I might be realizing, unfortunately, too late, we'll see here, and I'll go through it in a lot more in, in uh, part two of this episode for patrons, is uh, the meta might not be in a place where there's a true all-comers list. Like what can possibly fight Manny's list with, with certainty, for example? So... I might have tried to create an all-comers list when there isn't one, and we'll see if that works out for me or not. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully there is one. Hopefully I found it. Problem solved. I mean, we should probably talk then a little bit about your list, right? Because you have one of the most unique lists in the entire yeah. LVO, right? There's a thousand yeah. players. I don't know how many Scars yeah, players. Yeah. Five, according to some guy on the internet who I saw a post from Facebook from. <laughs> well, then that must be right. <laughs> that must be right, obviously. Yeah. It, was on, it was on Facebook. The internet doesn't lie. Come right. <laughs> All right, so, so uh, let's talk a little bit about your list. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's White Scars. I YOLO switched to White Scars. Might have been the stupidest study I've ever had in my life because I'm still painting. Why did I pick an army? I have no models for it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I YOLO switched to White Scars. I have, uh, from top to bottom, a Smash Cap, a Jump Chaplain, uh, a Phobos Libby, a Primaris Libby, Three Chaplain Dreads, which were approved for all of you naysayers out there. Uh, a unit of nine Reavers. Four units of Intercessors, just five. Uh, four units of five guys. Uh, two squads have hammers on their sergeants. Uh, a unit of five Incursors. Then another unit of eight Incursors. Uh, two Impulsors and a Thunderfire Cannon. Yeah, That's so 
interesting list. You have the the sort of standard, the stock standard Chaplin Dread Firebase that everyone is running. So yeah. um, if it's good, it's good, right? So you, you can reach out and touch people. But Honestly, I think- so I, I switched this army with one practice game under my belt with it. Um, having now since submitting it, I have played three practice games. If I could, I would cut a Chaplin Dread and maybe even take the last cannons off altogether. Interesting. Yeah, this is not what I expected my collisions to be, but we are where we are. Yeah. Well, the thing is, having played Chaplain Dreads and White Scars, like you're advancing with them a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? that's what it is. It's yeah. like they're so confused as units. Like I want to be punching you in the face, right? But also have this last can. <laughs> and you also want to be giving their Chaplain buffs to your army, yeah, yeah. which is going to be yeah. ranging it, right? Um, what very are very so, so when just looking at your list, based on my white scar experience, it kind of looks like to me like you're going to camp out till turn three, hiding like as much as you can, right? Taking pot shots with chaplain dreads that are protected by hiding intercessors or whatever. And then once That's the idea, yeah, once turn three comes on, your list hits so hard. Um, yeah, that's that's how it's pretty much gone every game I played so far. It's deceptive, well, not deceptively fast. It's, it's in your face. Like I will tell you how fast it is. It's so fast that you can't do anything about it. And then. Yeah, it just it does what it can to survive and get by until turn three, and then just table you. Yeah. So the There's a little uh, bit more nuance into it than that, but that's that's a strategy. Yeah. So one of the unfortunate things is you didn't know there was going to be Scorpius City from like Manny and uh, Malik, right? So yeah, no. That's got to be probably your worst matchup. I don't know. I actually I think that match is literally. I think Malak is probably the worst matchup. Planes in general are tough for my army. I don't have that much fly keyword. I have two impulsors and two characters with fly. Uh, of course, the last cannons help, but I don't have much to kill planes. So having alpha striking planes plus scorpions and direct fire is, is really, really rough. Manny's list was just all the indirect fire. A little bit more playable for me, I think, in quotations here. Um, in that if I go first, I at least can get engaged with the fire base because I am so fast, turn some of it off, and then start playing. Um, if I go second, uh, you know, let's just go do Vegas things, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> we can hang out, Nick, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose my, I don't, I don't really like any, the more fly keyword you have, the less happy I am. Let me put it that way. Flying indirect are not my friends. Unfortunately, yeah. that's kind of a large part of the bet at the moment. But We'll see what I can do. It'll be interesting. So obviously, we'll, we'll go into more detail about the list and why the certain choices are there. Like one of the things I'm looking forward to talking about is Reavers, because I know that that's made a lot of people's heads sort of melt um, when they saw them. So that'll be that'll be a really fun discussion in episode two. So if you, you patrons, you're in for a treat. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to episode two, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, was there any other lists out there that you wanted to talk about? One second, no. Any other um, contenders? I mean, yeah, I mean, so we we're seeing other arm play, top players bring in some Raven Guard. I know uh, Brad Chester, Steve Hamprine, they've been working on Raven Guard for forever, so they're still rocking that. Um, Alex Fennel too. Uh, Aaron Along is coming out of the woodworks to run Raven Guard, so that's interesting. Uh, so definitely some dark horse Raven Guard spoilers up in the here, and they they answer a lot of the meta really well too they they pose a lot of pressure on imperial fist and iron hands turn one so in that game i get a i guess it's a bit of a go first win type of thing too and then uh i mean they're part of that club with the rest of us plebes 
Um, yeah, because like honestly, if a unit of of assault centurions wraps anything in their castle, <laughs> right? Yeah, like, right. So I mean, the game is just done. Stop it. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's they have all the Raven Guard snipiness, so Chaos isn't pretty ha- particularly happy about that. And depending on how many sniper scouts the player specifically brought, they can actually mess with chaplain dreads, and those are literally everywhere, as I'm sure anyone on the internet. Well, yeah, I mean, even like three squads of eliminators, right? Like they can put a hurt on chaplain dreads with with the uh, plus one to hit, plus one to wound, and tactical yeah, doctrine. Yeah, direct line of sight shots. And that's probably going to get the eliminators all killed. So I don't think you really go for that, right? Um, because you you use your nine eliminators, shoot one chaplain dread, maybe kill it. If you're, I haven't done the math, but I imagine it's probably likely you leave it at like two, three wounds instead of killing it. And then you're in line of sight, so six laskins at least to the face from the other remaining chaplain dreads. Oh, yeah, and then every stalker bolt rifle under the sun is going to go yes. into those guys too, right? Because they, yeah, yeah. you can't leave eliminators on the table. Like, you just can't. You right. have to kill so I think that I don't think that's a real concern for chaplain dreads. But uh, Raving Guard just deep striking sniper scouts into wherever it gets line of sight onto characters. That's real. That's very real. Yeah, pretty efficient too. They're not super expensive, so. So I mean, you're not seeing too much in the way of in of uh, creativity here. I mean, Raven Guard Dark Horses, Imperial Fist, Ghost First Winds Buttons, the Iron Hands brick of a list that Siegler and Lennon and Brohammer have brought. Very interesting. Yeah, that's um, pretty innovative. Do you think there's any towel lists yeah, that can hang? Brian Poland, uh, I think more so than Talus, because I don't think Talus are are particularly varied at this time. Um, right. You know, they're a fairly limited codex as far as what works and doesn't work. I would say it's more Tal players that can hang, and that would be Brian Poland, I'm sure. Although, although it's going to be tough. Taylor, but, you know, he swapped Iron Hands like right. a traitor. Which he just says is better Tau. That's literally what he told me. <laughs> so. I, I describe his list as Tau to my clients. Like, think about it like Tau. The intercessors are shield drones, literally blocking for the characters. And the, yeah, and the the dreadnoughts are riptides. You just can't really interact with them, and they shoot you, and it sucks. Yep. Yep. Except the shield drones all have stalker bolt rifles. So that's that's exactly it. Shield <laughs> drones have stalker bolt rifles, which is kind of a hassle. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, to see kind of kind of how the metal has or the meta has sort of settled. Was there any other, you know, non marine lists out there? Uh, yeah, I thought? think so. There's there's 300 orcs, right? Uh, I know my buddy Jeff, and then my one of my clients, Anthony Birdsong, uh, who's seen a lot of success at like the Nova earlier this year. He they're running like 120 boys, 150 grots, all 30 wins and stuff like that. And it's just point denial board control orcs. So it's trying not to give up kills. Obviously gives up Max Reaper, but that's about it. Trying to hold more, trying to bonus every turn. It's just board control all day long. Hug you just for the sake of hugging you. Doesn't even care if it kills anything. It's so stupid. Oh, that's probably really good against all those stupid stalker, bolt rifle, intercessor, last cannon, dreadless. It, it right? is. It really is. Yeah. So, um, well, intercessors can punch pretty hard because there are three attacks each. They do. Charge or, not, or get charged. So... Orcs do go down. It's just a matter of do they go down before they've ran away with the scoreboard? And that's the question that the orc players are trying to ask these days, at least the top orc players. Um, so that's interesting. Now, some people are still running mech guns and all that. I don't think that's going to do particularly well. It's just been outdated by the marine meta uh, and now the Eldar influx and chaos influx. So we'll see. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been wrong before on that it, stuff. I don't think mech guns are good into Eldar or Chaos, and then the Marines just outshoot them. So I think they're just a poor mission choice because they bleed butchers' bills, kill mores, all that. Yeah, when orcs do denial, and that's that's a real thing. Yeah. Um. So there's some interesting ones too, like Justin Curtis is always a one to watch your eye out on for Brandon Grant. I think they're bringing stuff that they just like more so than things, stuff they think is going to win LVO. Uh, Justin's running like triple battalion chaos space marines brandon is running mono guard i think they just want to do that for personal reasons and that's totally fine we all enjoy our hobbies in our own way um who knows what's going on in their personal lives of course maybe they're not trying to compete at the highest level um but i don't expect i i expect them to play skill to carry them pretty far but i'd be surprised if they go if they're really in contention to win the whole thing and i think brandon has openly said that on some other podcasts yeah um, yeah he's definitely had expressed some frustration yeah. Um, so, you know, it's there's a thousand people. I can't go through the one thousand lists, but uh, it's it's really interesting this year. Nick Rose has joined me and my white score. Actually, really, I have joined him in his white score nonsense. But uh, we'll see where we land with it. Hopefully, it'd be so cool if we had like a white score, double white score, top eight. I would love that. I would go bananas if that happened. We'll make it happen, Nick. Come Let's on, make it happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here painting out some white scars. That's cool. I I was kind of geeked up because I. Of the Marine chapters, White Scars are by my by far my favorite, but that's because yeah. I like to punch people in the face. I'm you know, shooting's fine. I mean, Iron Hands are good, Imperial Fists are good. You know, if you're into that kind of thing, but yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, is there anything you want to ask about Sean or cover? Or are you good? No, I, I feel pretty good. Um, I feel pretty good about my list. Like, we'll see how we do. Um, it should be fun. It'll be my first LVO competing for. 40k. I've been there for War Machine and Hordes, so that'll be yeah. different to be on the big kid side of the room. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, you've been LVO before for not War Machine, though. Yeah, not for, 40k. Yep, for War Machine for sure. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, actually, Nick, I've actually had booths at LVO. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I used to sell stuff at LVO. True story. Oh. Not even making it up. Um, all right. Well. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this bonus episode. It's just Nick and I BSing about the, what we what we think the meta is, uh, but I, I think it's been beneficial. Hopefully, you all t- jump on with us, uh, with our patrons, our patrons, and listen to part two where we dive deep dive into Nick's White Scar list and, and kind of go through his thought process and why he chose to play what he's what he's playing. So I think that'll be an interesting discussion for sure. Um, as always, you can find us, uh, our Patreon, Patreon at uh, AOW40K.com. Um, and then if you're looking for coaching services, list building services, you can find us at TheArtOfWar40K.com. Uh, it's, it's a great resource. And I don't know if Nick, you want to give a quick plug to all the different things that people can do there, but you've got quite a stable of coaches that are coaching. Yeah, yeah. So you can, we have uh, a bunch of different coaches with different specialties. Obviously myself, we have Matt Root, we have TJ Lanigan, we have Eric Lathuris from Australia, uh, Ruben Martinez Arkanskari from uh, Canada, and uh, soon to be Richard Seeler and a couple others in the works. Um, so basically we teach multiple classes a week in a private forum uh, that's called the war room. Um, definitely check that out. We do weekly meta analyses. So leading up to LVL, I'll be doing one tomorrow, uh, for war room members. And then, uh, or I guess this, I'll be doing one two days ago for war room members. Ah. <laughs> um, but you can catch that still, you can rewatch any of them live, uh, live or on rerun. So it's not like you missed it. Um, 
Also, we teach five classes a week on General 40K, Imperial, Chaos, Xenos, and Eldari. And we do weekly live stream battle reports where we play super top level 40K and, and teach you guys by demonstration. So that's my favorite um, part, by the way. Just as a, yeah. a quick plug, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a client. That's how Nick and I met. And there's a ton of games where not only do they play top level 40K, but usually it's like a four-hour stream because they explain their thought process with every decision that they're making. Whereas normally when you watch a stream, you're like looking at two people think, and you're like, it's hard to tell what's going on. Whereas I try to give you this, a stream of consciousness of my thinking like in real time. So it's like... <laughs> We're in 40K, I sit there and I take a couple minutes to figure out what I'm going to do this turn. I'm weighing up some, some options in my head, pre-measuring some stuff. While I'm streaming for you guys in the war room, I am narrating my thought process to you the best I can. So it's like, I'm thinking about moving my encouragers over here to wrap this thing. Uh, I might not go for it though, because if I fail my move twice power, then I'm kind of hung out to dry. My other option is to fall back and hide behind this wall, but then I lose some momentum. So I try to give you guys really what's going on. Awesome. Well, I can tell you guys that as a customer, it's totally worth the dollar dues that uh, you invest because I've gotten a lot better just from being a coaching client. So again, this has been the Art of War podcast. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Make sure you check out the Frontline Gaming Network where you can find the second best competitive podcast and ours. <laughs> <laughs> That's never going to get old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com Where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.